This is Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We always like to start off the show with the Angelus. Uh, thank you for being here, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Great to be with you. Do you have any intentions for our Angelus today? You know, I think being January 17th, I think um, be good for us. We have the March for Life um, mm-hmm. this Friday to pray for uh, greater respect for all human life, especially the life of the innocent and vulnerable unborn babies. January 22nd, which is next Monday, is the um, very sad anniversary, the mm-hmm. 45th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade. So, so let's pray for an end to abortion. Yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend, will reflect upon the last 45 years since Roe v. Wade legalized abortion in our country, including ways we can remember the tragic decision while remaining hopeful, staying politically active, and witnessing to life. Then he'll talk about the upcoming Feast of St. Anthony the Abbot, a hermit who is known as the spiritual father of monasticism. Afterwards, since Bishop Rhodes will soon be attending a Byzantine Catholic Divine Liturgy at Notre Dame, he'll talk about the Eastern Catholic Churches and how the diversity within the Universal Catholic Church can bring richness and joy. Then it's on to the upcoming Catholic Radio Sunday and ways we can support Catholic Radio in our diocese. The show will wrap up with Bishop answering questions submitted by listeners. If you would like to submit a question for a future show, download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet, or go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and you mentioned... Uh, before the Angelus, that we are coming up on the 45th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. That will be Monday, January 22nd. Also, an annual day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. Any thoughts on the past 45 years of legal abortion in the United States? 
Well, I remember I was in high school when um, Roe v. Wade was decided. It was a tragic day for America. All these years, we've been marching in Washington, and and um, we've seen some growth in the uh, pro-life cause as far as young people being more pro-life today. That's a cause of hope. Mm -hmm. But when you think of the millions of unborn children who never have been able to see the light of day, it's, it's still very tragic to think that we have legalized abortion in our country, but we should not lose hope. We need to be a people who bear witness to the sanctity of life. We need to do all that we can to help women who are in crisis pregnancies or unplanned pregnancies. We still need that great prayer to lift up that great prayer for life and to bear witness like we're going to do on Friday. I'm so happy we have over a thousand people going to Washington, D.C. for the March for Life on Friday. I'll be flying out tomorrow, and it's always such a a, a celebration in some ways, not of Roe v. Wade, of course, but a celebration of God's precious gift of life. Mm -hmm. You see so many people who gather and so many young people who gather in Washington to just stand up for the right to life. Also, I always enjoy, I have a special mass in Washington for all the participants from the diocese. And this year it'll be on Saturday morning at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. So we have a lot of people going from all our four Catholic high schools, from our Catholic colleges. We have several hundred coming from Notre Dame. And we have other groups coming from parishes. Knights of Columbus have organized groups. The diocese has organized groups. So it's um, it's really a great testimony that we have so many pro-life people in our diocese who are making that sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, to go. And it's often sometimes bitter cold. I've been to, I've been to a lot of the marches, and um, and yet it's uh, important. And then also we have local uh, marches for life in Fort Wayne and South Bend. And then you mentioned the day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children, which will be on Monday, January 22nd, mm-hmm. because it's on the actual anniversary date. The march this year is on January 19th. So we have masses offered all over the diocese, well, actually all over the country on the 22nd to pray for the legal protection of unborn children. And I will mention that for those that are near South Bend, there will be a March for Life in South Bend on the 19th. You can check out ProLifeMichiana.org for information on that. And the Allen County March for Life will be Saturday, January 27th. And IChooseLife.org is where you can get information about that. Again, that's not going to be until January 27th. With the March for Life in D.C., are you able to spend much time with the group that's out there? You said over a thousand, or do you yeah. have other obligations while you're there? No, no. I mean, we always have a big mass before the march on Friday, but that's at the Verizon Center. I think it has a new name now, but it's a big arena in mm-hmm. downtown D.C. But that's always overflowing. Uh, we've yeah. been fortunate to be able to. There used to be two venues. It's down to one. So I'm not sure if our diocesan youth, if we've gotten tickets or not. I, I'm hoping so. I'll definitely be there to come celebrate that mass. But then when it's uh, marching with so many tens of thousands of people, we have a diocesan banner, and uh, I get to greet a lot of the people, talk to a lot of the people from our diocese, but not everybody because sure. it's, it's so many. You yeah. know, um, I also meet a lot of people I know from when I was at Mount St. Mary's, oh, yeah. you know, priests that, that I taught when they were seminarians. I see a lot of people from home, from the Diocese of Harrisburg. So for me, it's like a like a big reunion. But because of the crowds, it's, it's impossible to greet everybody. Sure. And 
for those that are going uh, and for those that are not able to go, what are some ways that we can support the pro-life movement in our diocese and our parishes and local level, but also on a national, international level too? Well, I think, first of all, prayer. I already mentioned the day of prayer on the 22nd. We, we need to continue to raise up a great prayer for life. I think we also should be active in encouraging our elected officials mm-hmm. uh, in Washington and also in Indianapolis. I think letters to them are very helpful, very important that they hear from their constituents, that we ask them to support life when important legislation comes up. Right now, there is a bill that's um, on the Freedom of Conscience Act, which is really important so that doctors or healthcare workers are not forced against their conscience to assist with abortions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's important to be active in that area of politics, political advocacy, by writing to our representatives. You know, and one thing I'm really, really proud of is is the pro-life action that we have in our diocese to help women who are in situations where they may be tempted to have an abortion. I think in particular of our women's care centers, abortions have been cut in half in both Fort Wayne area and South Bend area, largely because of our women's care centers. Mm -hmm. So any support, financial support, especially of women's care centers or other pro-life organizations in our diocese is, is really helpful. We have other groups that aren't Catholic, but are important that we support would be the Allen County Right to Life and St. Joseph County Right to Life. There's the Apostolate for Divine Mercy, which does pro-life, especially spiritual action, spiritual activities on the South Bend side of the diocese. So I think getting involved in some of these grassroots organizations is really helpful. And not being afraid to bear witness to it. I mean, I think education is really important. You know, obviously, our young people in our Catholic schools and our religious education programs get a very good pro-life education, and people can be involved in, in that as well. A little bit of a tangent, but you mentioned the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, such a beautiful church, and they've been working for a long time to finish the dome. Have you been there since they finished no, the dome? I'm very anxious to see the Trinity Dome. It's been about 100 years, and um, there's a connection to our diocese because Archbishop John Knoll was a big fundraiser for the, for the upper church, the basilica, when it was built. Mm-hmm. All through these decades, they've been adding mosaics to the different ceilings and then the building of the various chapels in honor of Our Lady under different titles and different ethnic groups. The last thing was the big, big inside dome uh-huh. that was only just last month dedicated on December 8th and, and millions of mosaic t- uh, pieces yeah. to uh, complete it. So I'm really anxious to see it. It, it shows the Most Holy Trinity and also an image in mosaic of the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady, as well as several U.S. saints. Right, right. All right. Well, also today is the feast of St. Anthony Abbott, which is known as the founder of Christian monasticism. Uh, this isn't St. Anthony the Franciscan that helps you find things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about St. Anthony of the Desert, or also known as Anthony the Great or Anthony of Egypt? Yes, you know, St. Anthony of Egypt, St. Anthony of the Abbot is different from St. Anthony of Padua. So mm-hmm. uh, St. Anthony of Padua, of course, was a follower of St. Francis, so he was many centuries later, whereas St. Anthony of Egypt is from the third century. He was born in the middle of the third century. And he is, as you mentioned, Kyle, the considered the father of 
monasticism, the spiritual father of monastic communities that have existed throughout the history of the church. Basically, it's important to realize that he really was a hermit. We think of a monastery, it's a community. Well, he was actually a hermit. And as a young man, he read the gospel passage where Jesus said, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Mm -hmm. Then come follow me. Yeah. Well, Anthony felt that Jesus was saying these words to him directly Hmm. in his heart. So he followed that advice. He sold everything that he owned and gave the proceeds to the poor and some to his sister. And there wasn't really any organized monasticism at that point. But there were Christians who lived celibate lives, who, who lived lives of poverty, and they were focused on a life of prayer and fasting. But Anthony really embraced that kind of life in such a way that he had this vision of Christian asceticism. So he withdrew from the world you know, out into the desert in Egypt. Now, there were some other hermits there, and so he was really living an eremitical life. He was living in solitude in the desert, and he did that for many years. During that time, we read that he was involved in spiritual combat. In other words, he would experience temptations from the devil that he was able to mm-hmm. overcome with God's grace. But his whole point, his whole life was, was really centered on seeking God. And that's what he did. And then he would leave solitude now and then to go and provide guidance to the the hermits that lived around him. So there were Uh these hermits living in their own solitude in the vicinity of where he lived in the desert. He was like their spiritual father. That's why he's called St. Anthony the abbot. Hmm. But it's not an abbot like in a monastery where monks live together in community. He was an abbot in the sense of like a spiritual father to all these individual hermits. Okay. So we consider that really the beginning of monasticism as we know it today. I mean, he lived to be very old, 105 years old, which I guess shows that's a good healthy <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> um, And you might say, well, how do we know all this about St. Anthony of Egypt? Right. Well, there's a biography that was written by St. Athanasius. And um, it's really interesting if you want to read about the life of St. Anthony the abbot, you can read the biography by St. Athanasius. So he's someone that we honor in the church for the um, really his influence on the development of um, monasticism and real, really Christian asceticism. Do we have hermits living in our diocese? We do. We have three hermits. That is a form of consecrated life, kind of revived with the 1983 Code of Canon Law. Hmm. So the hermits uh, that I've approved live a life of solitude, very much apart from the world, a certain withdrawal from the world, not total, but a certain amount. And uh, they live a life of prayer. And each one has to draw up a rule of life of how they're going to live their life, kind of their prayer, etc., penance, all those things that then I would approve. And if I approve, then I allow them to make vows as a hermit. 
and they make temporary vows and if it after that i can judge whether and if they desire to make perpetual vows to live as hermits for the rest of their life they can they remain under the authority of the bishop um so yes we have three diocesan hermits and i count on their prayers how does that go with jesus command of the disciples to go out and their their mission to spread the faith by being in public how does that compare to this life and 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 how is there this the difference in callings within Christianity? Yeah. Well, the life of a hermit, kind of like the life of a, a monk or a cloistered nun, is a hidden life. But it's also one in which, which serves the church's mission of evangelization. Because their prayers and the sacrifices and the penances that they do have an efficacy that is invisible. Mm -hmm. In other words, as I mentioned, I'll ask the hermits, just as I ask our cloister nuns, to pray for particular intentions, to pray for the church. I really believe that they are serving the evangelizing mission of the church by their lives. Sure. They also have some contact, for example, when I think of our cloistered nuns where there are some times where they receive visitors so they're able to also have some interaction mm -hmm. and even our diocesan hermits it's they would be in their life of of solitude and withdrawal from the world it's not total because for example they go to the local parishes where they live for mass okay. so so they can also be an example to others of the primacy of prayer an example of the primacy sure, of prayer sure is that something you ever considered in your discernment? No, um, I really kind of know inside what the Lord's calling is, and uh -huh. I have never felt that call. Yeah. I, I probably community life in a religious congregation would be more attractive to me, but I, I don't think uh, I have that call at all to be a hermit. Yeah. Did you explore religious life? At all? Yes. In yeah. When I was when I was a young man thinking about the priesthood, I was discerning between the das and religious priesthood, and I had some attraction to a few religious communities. And of course, I love our Franciscans. I could see that. Yeah. Um, I thought about the Jesuits and the Dominicans, um, but in the end, I knew that the Lord was calling me to diocesan priesthood. Yeah. Well, we're thankful for that. Now, coming up, we're going to take a look at the Byzantine Liturgy. Uh, we'll talk about Catholic Radio Sunday, and we'll have questions that were submitted by you right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and one of the things that is coming up on your schedule, Bishop, is a Byzantine liturgy that's on Sunday, January 21st at 10 a.m. at Notre Dame. Let's start with what is the difference or similarities between liturgies of uh, Byzantine rite versus what most of us might be used to? Would you call it the Roman rite? The Latin, okay. Latin rite. I think it might be helpful even before that for our listeners um, would be to understand how the universal Catholic Church is comprised of 23 self-governing what we call ritual churches. Hmm. Now, 23. by far, the largest is the Latin Church, the Ro what we call the Roman Church, the Latin Church. Okay. Um, so that's one of the 23. But then 
there are 22 Eastern Catholic churches. Huh. And sometimes we, we speak of them in general as, as the Byzantine churches or one of them, for example, when I'm at Notre Dame for the Mass on Sunday, the priest who is a professor at Notre Dame is a Melkite Greek Catholic priest. That's one of the 22 ritual Catholic churches, one of the 22 uh, Eastern Catholic churches, uh-huh. the Melkite church. So I think that's helpful to understand. Like, for example, the Melkite church is historically associated with the ancient see of Antioch. We know like the the most ancient dioceses in, in the church's history would be Rome and Alexandria and Antioch. So when you think about Antioch, St. Peter was the the first bishop there. He hmm. went there before he went to Rome and became the, what we consider the first pope, the first bishop of Rome. He was ordained a bishop for the city of Antioch. So we have these different um, Eastern Catholic churches. They're fully Catholic. They're in union with the pope. All 23. All 22. Uh, and 23 yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> is being the Latin. Right. right. Um, okay. And so, therefore, they're totally Catholic. So, as as Latin Rite Catholics, we can go and satisfy our Sunday obligation at any Eastern Catholic church. Okay. Now, we only have three places in our diocese where we have Eastern Catholic liturgies. The liturgy that I'll, have, that I'll uh, preach at on Sunday at Notre Dame, but also there is a Ukrainian Catholic parish in Mishawaka, St. Michael's. And also in Fort Wayne, we have a regular Byzantine Catholic liturgy celebrated at the uh, Mother Guerin Chapel next to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. Uh So now getting to the answer of your question, when we think about the worship or the liturgy in the Eastern Catholic churches, each one is is somewhat different. but, But one thing you'll notice if you go that the liturgy is almost entirely sung chanted okay so that's a little different i mean we have a lot of singing or chanting can happen in the in the latin rite liturgy as we know but here we have most of the liturgy being sung and they speak of it as not as the mass they they speak of it as the divine liturgy okay and so it's the same uh it's the eucharist like like in the the roman rite uh the or the western rite but there's differences in the outward expression the songs, the a lot of use of incense, some of the gestures are different. Instead of statues, they have the Eastern icons. Mm-hmm. The liturgy of St. John Chrysostom is the most commonly celebrated liturgy. Um, hmm. As you know, St. John Chrysostom was a great father and doctor of the church. So that liturgy is, is probably the most common among all the Eastern Catholic churches. But basically, it's the same essential elements as in the Latin Catholic Church. You have the liturgy of the Word. You have the liturgy of the Eucharist. But I think when you go to an Eastern Catholic liturgy, you have a real great sense of God's holiness. There's a reverence for the sacred. A lot of invocations of, for example, 
the intercessory power of Mary, the mother of God and the saints. Hmm. As I said, they have the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. They call the liturgy of the Eucharist the liturgy of sacrifice. But prior to the liturgy of the word, they have a preparation where the priest prepares the bread and the chalice for communion. That's a little bit different than what we would have in the Latin liturgy. But it's really very beautiful. Now, some people say, well, what about the Orthodox? Well, the Orthodox, very similar liturgy to the Eastern Catholic liturgy. The difference, though, is the Orthodox are not in union with the Pope. They're not in union with the Catholic Church. Okay. You know, sadly, that split, that big split is called the Great Schism. It really took place in the year 1054. Mm -hmm. So, the main diocese or patriarchate of the east was constantinople and even today that's where the ecumenical patriarch for the orthodox lives although it's a very small christian community in constantinople now the city of istanbul today mm-hmm. but in the 16th century several of these uh some of these orthodox churches in different countries got reunited with rome and those are as i mentioned the eastern catholic churches although some never split okay when we're traveling, uh, you mentioned there's only a couple of these in our diocese, but if we're traveling somewhere and we see a church, how do we know if it's a, a Catholic church that we could attend and fulfill our obligation or one that might be Orthodox or a, yeah. a, another split? Generally, they would use the word Catholic. It would say, for example, in Harrisburg, we had a big Byzantine parish, St. Anne's Byzantine Catholic Church. So it'll usually okay. say, use the word Catholic in the title. For example, in Mishawaka, it's St. Michael's Ukrainian Catholic Church. Okay. So that's how you would know. And, and usually, and the Orthodox would use the, the name Orthodox. But it's really interesting. You go to places like Chicago, there are quite a few Eastern Catholic churches. One interesting thing that you'll notice, I love visiting a uh, Eastern Catholic church or an Orthodox church for that matter, because the icons are so beautiful. Uh And at the front of the church, you'll notice what they call the iconostasis, which is a a screen with icons on it that kind of defines the area of the altar. It kind of separates the altar area, what we would call the sanctuary, from the the main body of of the uh, church. So the other thing is uh, the priest faces the altar during the celebration of the sacred liturgy. So he's facing east, kind of like we did before Vatican II. Mm -hmm. But I always am reminded of heaven when I go into an Eastern Catholic church, the icons and everything. It's kind of like, I don't know, a little bit thinking of heaven with you're surrounded by all these beautiful paintings of of saints and of jesus and um so yeah i think if someone if a latin catholic hasn't latin rite catholic hasn't uh experienced a eastern catholic liturgy i highly recommend it there's this focus on a really deep respect for the mysteries of god i think that's part of the eastern tradition focus also on the reality of what we call divinization are partaking of the divine nature of the of, of the Holy Trinity. We see that teaching very strong in the Eastern fathers of the church and doctors of the church like John Chrysostom. And just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory of Nazianzus. And these are great saints, Catholic, you know, honored by us, but also honored by, by the Orthodox because at that time, 
it was one church. That was before the division. So we have these great Eastern fathers and doctors of the church. Um, hmm. Gregory of Nyssa is another one. And their writings are really, really wonderful. If some would like to uh, check it out, they could check uh, one of those three places that I mentioned. The Mass at Notre Dame that I'll be having on uh, January 21st, the Byzantine Liturgy will be in Malloy Hall. I am not uh, by ritual, so I can't be the main celebrant, oh, um, but I'll be preaching the homily at that Mass. And it's interesting, in the Eastern Catholic Church, this Sunday is called the Sunday of the Publican and the Pharisee. Hmm. Uh, so they actually name the Sunday according to the gospel that's read that day. Okay. And do some traditions do the sign of the cross differently? Yes, they do. The Eastern Catholic, actually my grandfather too, because he was Greek Orthodox, they have their fingers first three fingers, to, the thumb and two fingers together, representing the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. And then the two fingers touching each other, representing the two natures of Christ, human and divine. And they kind of do what we would consider backwards, but they would consider what we do backwards. <laughs> right. So when we make the sign of the cross, we would go, you know, from our head to our chest, to our left shoulder, they would go to the right so shoulder. Okay. Any reason behind that? Or I just? have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> there <All> might be. <laughs> well, another thing that's happening this Sunday is Catholic Radio Sunday. Is this the first year that we're doing this? Yes, yes. You know, uh, actually, Redeemer Radio asked if I would pick a Sunday, and I said, well, I thought it would be a good idea. We should do it in ordinary time so we're not conflicting with, sure. with the regular schedule. And I said, why not the third Sunday in ordinary time? So that's what we'll be doing. And what do you see as the value of, of celebrating a, a Sunday for a particular cause like this? Well, I, I think the main reason is to pray for the Catholic Radio Apostolate. Mm -hmm. So I'd hope that our parishes would include in one of the general intercessions a prayer for Catholic Radio. And it's also good for us to highlight it. It's a great means of evangelization and catechesis. So to have a Sunday where we designate as Catholic Radio Sunday is, is one way to do that. Yeah. And I'm so grateful, you know, now that we have Redeemer Radio, it's a great avenue or a means of communication about the faith, you know, all throughout our 14 counties. The popes, uh, at least the, the past three, have talked a lot about you know, evangelizing using the, the media that we have available to us. Anybody stand out to you as somebody that's really leading this charge well? Well, I think... You know, we have great pioneers for Catholic media in the United States. I think of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Sure. You know, I mean, he really would probably be Catholic media's greatest star. I mean, that television show he had back in the 1950s, Life is Worth Living, mm -hmm. that was extremely popular. Now, that's a little bit before my time, but I remember my parents talking about him. I mean, that was a really popular show. Yeah. And uh, so Fulton Sheen... I think was the most popular public speaker in the church, and he was just great. I mean, he began actually by on Catholic radio. He used to have a Catholic Hour radio program, but then he went on to television in uh -huh. 1952. And if you've ever watched, they show some of his programs on EWTN. Now his style is a little different for today, but you know he was pretty very very dynamic. Um, 
and uh, reached so many millions of households. But then he also, you know, Fulton Sheen used to go around giving retreats and speeches and sermons. He would preach at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, regularly packing the cathedral. Good Friday, his sermons would be broadcast even outdoors. Um, So he had a huge impact through television, through radio, and through his his homilies and his speeches. And he was an intellectual. I mean, he was a theologian of and and really and a philosopher. But he was able to translate it so that in the language that people could understand. And he wrote a lot of books. He published a lot of books, magazine articles and newspaper articles. So he was a great uh, evangelist. Others, of course, would be Mother Angelica. Sure. I mean, this nun who, who established EWTN that now goes around the world, incredible. And then one who I think is a little closer to home is Father Patrick Payton, you mm. know, a Holy Cross father who Pope Francis recently declared venerable. Yeah. So they're working on his cause of beatification. He was famous for that sentence, the family that prays together stays together. So he was another important uh, media pioneer. If you ask about today, I think on, you know, certainly EWTN, certainly Catholic Radio, I would say, in my opinion, Bishop Robert Barron would be, at least for me, my favorite uh, media personality. Um, I think his talks uh, and his Word on Fire series Mm -hmm. that you can get online is really excellent his his uh youtube or podcasts all those things right um i think it's great excellent quality and uh he's a very engaging speaker as well yeah well this show and several new shows that have started this year or will be starting uh, actually came out of a challenge that you issued for more local content you kind of challenge redeemer radio to to do more local content that's that's kind of what spurred on this this show itself uh, what would be your next challenge for redeemer radio uh, besides continuing to increase quality and quantity of our own programming what would you like to see or rather hear rather from redeemer radio i think we could continue to grow a little bit more on the the uh, local programming Mm -hmm. we have some really excellent people i could think of right here in our own diocese that i would recommend some very good theologians um that could be you know maybe another local show yeah uh they'd be much better than i uh i although i'm i enjoy it um but i also think um at times we have reruns and that's by necessity you know, on some of the national programs, I think it'd be good to kind of reduce those a little bit. Yeah. But I think Redeemer Radio is great. And uh, I'd say continue what you're doing and, and, but strive to be creative. Yeah. And maybe some of the listeners have ideas. Sure. Of things that they would be interested in, in hearing on the radio. Yeah. We're always open to suggestions and feedback. Uh, In fact, if you just want to go to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop, uh, you can always ask questions of Bishop, but also if you have any comments or feedback for us, please do let us know. Um, any Anything for listeners, uh, a challenge for them uh, that we have this ability to communicate over the radio, any, anything that you would like to challenge them, uh, maybe particular for the radio, Catholic Radio Sunday? or Well, you know otherwise? what? I, I, I'd say spread the word. Tell your friends about it. Maybe family members. Redeemer Radio has bumper stickers and things like that. I think our regular Catholic laity can also publicize and advertise Redeemer Radio. 
so that we'll even have more listeners. I, we have a lot, but I, you know, we can always spread the word. Yeah. Tell somebody about uh, Truth and Charity with Bishop Rose. That's right. Tell them to tune in yeah. or listen to the podcast. All right. Well, if you have a question, like I said, you can ask that at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll take questions submitted by listeners right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you have submitted. And our first submission hits on the theme from earlier in the show. It comes from Stuart Sexton from St. Andrew's Eastern Catholic Mission Parish in Fort Wayne, who says, I don't have a question, rather I have a comment. I've been meaning to say thank you for quite some time. Thank you for your support for St. Andrews and the Ukrainian Greek Catholic community who live and work within the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese, and for your continued cooperation with the Eparchy of St. Nicholas, Chicago, for allowing us to worship at the St. Mother Theodore Guerin Chapel in Fort Wayne. May God continue to richly bless the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, and God grant you many years. Thanks a lot, Stuart. I appreciate that. For some of the listeners, they may not know what an eparchy is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, eparchy of St. Nicholas in Chicago. That's what an Eastern Catholic Church calls a diocese. Okay. An eparchy. So their bishop is the eparch. So our Eastern Catholic priests here in the diocese, Father David Meinson in Fort Wayne, and the Ukrainian Catholic priest in Mishawaka are priests of the eparchy of St. Nicholas, Okay, the Ukrainian Catholic eparchy in Chicago. So that's who their bishop is, their eparch. So a new word for some people, yeah. perhaps, eparchy. So do they operate then under your authority or under the eparch of Chicago's authority? They, or under, is it they kind operate of under the eparch, not under me. They're, they're okay. priests of the, uh, of the St. Nicholas Eparchy. But then you give them permission to celebrate masses here? No, because they don't need my permission. Oh. Yeah. Now, the only thing is we're li- we're loaning them a church okay. in Fort Wayne. So that's one of our Latin, you know, the St. Theodore Guerin Chapel. Obviously that, you know, but they're Catholics, so I'm happy that they use the chapel. You know, we talked earlier about some of the similarities and differences. I was kind of curious at what point are the differences a valid variety of expressing the same faith, which gives the church a richness? Um, and at what point does it become something that divides us rather than unites us? I don't think it divides us at all. I only see the richness of the diversity because we profess the same faith. The catechism of the Catholic Church contains. So there's no differences in doctrine. All right. Well, thank you. Our next question, uh, we actually have a caller leave, left the following question via voicemail. Yes, I am uh, divorced and, and remarried and living in a conjugal relationship with my current wife. And I've, I've been listening to the controversy regarding uh, the Pope's uh, desire uh, to allow people uh, after a, a pastoral uh, guidance and conscience and their conscience says that they've that they uh, really can't uh, refrain from sexual contact, that they can still receive Holy Communion. Is that okay if I receive Holy Communion, even though I'm living in a conjugal relationship with my 
second wife, I haven't had an annulment for my first, but uh, it looks like uh, the Pope is kind of actually has uh, said that that's part of his magisterium now, that that uh, he's kind of loosening up that uh, restriction, mortal sin, and the Holy Eucharist. I can still go to the, still live in, a, in a, an objective state of mortal sin uh, with my second wife and still receive communion, as long as my conscience uh, leads me in that direction and pastoral guidance and so on. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Bye-bye. Okay. That's a... Um that's a hot topic for sure. Um, I appreciate your calling in. I do believe um, that what Pope Francis has said in Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love, is a little bit more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the Pope has not really opened the door widely to the divorced and remarried receiving Holy Communion. He writes about the importance of pastoral accompaniment, that they be, first of all, the first thing should be to seek an annulment. And that's what I would say to the listener, if there is a possibility, if there might be grounds that his first marriage was invalid. So I think that's the importance of regularizing one's situation in the church. Mm -hmm. Now, if there are not any grounds, and if that first marriage was valid, then the only option that Pope John Paul II gave was to live together as brother and sister in order to receive Holy Communion. It's true what the caller said. Pope Francis has, has written a bit and spoken a bit about very and I would call them rare situations where that is extremely difficult, if not almost impossible for some people. And what I mean by that is they're afraid that that could lead to greater sin. For example, if um, a couple, either the husband or wife in this second marriage, isn't agreeable to live as brother and sister and the other one might be saying okay for the sake of the children there might even there might be young children that if they didn't engage in conjugal relations it could destroy the marriage and create even greater harm Mm -hmm. and those are the situations i think that pope francis is thinking about about where some pastoral discernment could be perhaps used but i think it's much narrower allowance perhaps that the pope is having there's a lot of confusion about this um a lot of different opinions about what the pope has said so the bishops are hoping for some clarification because some people are confused about this but i think it's much narrower than what the uh the caller alludes to i really would recommend seeing and talking to a priest Mm -hmm. if one is in this situation and i would also highly recommend seeking an annulment if there might be grounds for an annulment of that first marriage okay well if you have questions you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop you can call or text the holy cross college text line at 260-436-9598 and we've got more of your questions coming up right here on truth and charity with bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you've submitted. One final question for today is, Bishop has had the bocce tournament and the Cupertino Classic. What about a family feud trivia or question-answer game? This could be Fathers versus Seminarians, Fort Wayne versus South Bend, or something like that. 
Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I would support that. As a matter of fact, I participated in a Catholic uh, trivia game with about 100 or maybe more parishioners uh, at Queen of Peace Parish sure. in Mishawaka. We had so much fun. Uh-huh. Uh, we had different teams. And so, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Maybe someone will try to do it at a diocesan level. Would you be the host? Oh, I want to play. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe the listener that submitted this question could uh, be in charge of organizing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, or thank it you could so be much. a fundraiser for Redeemer Radio, Kyle. And there you go. I'm for it. Thank you so much, Bishop. This has been great once again. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Our next all-new episode of Truth in Charity will air Wednesday at noon with a special rebroadcast on Saturday at 11 a.m. Or listen online anytime at RedeemerRadio.com. On the next show, Bishop Rhodes will talk about the important mission of Catholic schools in honor of Catholic Schools Week, including how it's needed now more than ever and the special role teachers take in the spiritual lives of their students. Then it's on to the saints whose feast days we will celebrate soon, including St. Francis de Sales and the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Then the show will wrap up with Bishop Rhodes answering questions submitted by listeners. If you would like to submit a question for a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone to ask a question. And while you're there, go to Audio Library to check out previous shows. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. <laughs>